Isaiah chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. Yeah. Did you guys miss last week? <laughs> Were you resting last week? <laughs> yeah, we're going to fly through. I, we only have four uh, studies through Hosea to get all, through all 14 chapters. So it's quick, but the thing is, it's redundant. And so if you guys haven't gotten the message by the end, you're not doing what the Bible says here, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where it says, listen, and still bring it down just a little bit, Heather. Just a little bit more, right? And yeah, is that good? Is that that's perfect right there? You guys can hear me, right? Still, she didn't touch it. Did you touch it? I, I was hoping you did because <laughs> I heard it go down a little bit. I know I can talk louder now, so and I love to talk loud. So, the first part of Hosea, what we went through those first three chapters, it was really into. And focused in on his personal life, what was going on with Hosea, and it started setting this whole model of how God was going to show us what Israel is doing to him through his relationship with Gomer. And sad story, crazy how God used this guy's life and a very hard thing that he had to walk through um, to go through. But those first three chapters were more of giving us exactly what was going on with his life and then relating that to Israel. So the rest of this chapter, what's going to happen is it's basically going to go in the, the pairs. God's going to call him out through Hosea and say, here's what your sin is. Here's how horrible. This is what you're doing. This is disgusting what you're doing. And mostly he's addressing Ephraim, remember, which was Israel. Remember how we said that they addressed Ephraim because it was the main tribe. It was the, the highest populace in that tribe. And so that's why they called it that. So every time we go through and you guys hear Ephraim be spoken of, it's talking about the northern tribes. It's talking about those 10 up there. Um, and then Judah was the other side. So he's going to hit Judah just a little bit, but Hosea, like I showed you guys on that timeline, he was mainly going to the northern kingdom with Amos, and just those guys were the ones really hitting on them um, and trying to show them what God wanted for them before they went into uh, exile with the Syrians. And that's what's going to happen. Is Hosea is right at the end, right before they go into that. We're going to see a little bit of that even tonight in chapter 7 where he talks about it. But, or actually in chapter 5 it talks about it. But in these next ones, it goes through that cycle of it shows them their sin, how awful they've been, and what they've been doing to him, to God, and, if, and then what it goes into is what's going to happen to him. It comes into the judgment. And then after the judgment, usually they'll talk about the blessing and how he wants to restore them. And that happens. It's, it's, it's like that. It's just a cycle that keeps going through there. Um, but there's some awesome things as we look at it, just the mercy God pours out on them how he continually just talks to them over and over. He puts the sin right in front of their eyes so that they, you know, they're not going to get away with it. God does not want us getting away with sin because that doesn't lead to anything good. Um, but he wants to take care of the people. He wants to go and he wants to discipline them like a loving father would, and then he wants to restore them back to that right relationship with him. And so it's actually an awesome story and what happens on that side of it, but it's so sad what Israel ends up doing to God and how far they walk away from him. The really sad part about this is when you go through it and there's a, you know, all of a sudden you start seeing, wow, that's, I can kind of relate with that. I can see myself in Israel a little bit there and shame on me and really will call us out. And so that's what I hope and pray through as we go through the minor prophets. And even in this book is that really just the Holy Spirit speaks to you guys so that there isn't this hidden sin that keeps getting, getting away with and that it gets addressed. And this right relationship is restored with God, your father and what he's done for you and, and what he wants to do. 
and still what his plan is. So let's get into it since we have a lot to cover. Um, But let's go ahead and let's start reading in chapter 4. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord's for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. And so, Lord, just as we go through these scriptures, I really just pray that you just speak to us. Um, you know, the encouraging things and the awesome things that you want to do, your love that you pour out, even looking at this letter, I mean, this, this story and what Hosea proclaimed about you and just your love for your people. Um, you know, the horrible things that they took you through and, and the things that we do with you too. Uh, we claim your blood and then turn right around and, and sin against you, Lord. And we just want to praise you and thank you so much for your grace and your compassion in our lives, Lord. And just help to remind us exactly where we stand with you and just how much you do love us. And what your plan is for Israel and, and just the awesome things you did in their lives. And Lord, that you're your loving Father, that you won't let us get away with things. And uh, you, know, you bring that discipline so that that restoration can come. And we just thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you. And just help us to know you, especially as we go through these scriptures, that we just get to learn more about you and draw closer to you. Let me pray, amen. So in the very first part, it says here. And we've talked about this before of just listening up. It's not just to give me an ear so that, you know, I feel good because I'm talking to you. It's listen up, hear, take heed to what I'm saying. Apply what I'm saying to your guys' lives. And so when he comes and he says this, he's like, you guys better listen up, especially because this is what's going to happen. God's going to bring a charge against them. There's a lawsuit God is bringing against them because they have broken his law. And now they're accountable to it. They need to show up and this needs to be dealt with. You know, it's not one of those things where it's just, oh, I didn't know those were the rules, or, or I'm sorry I got caught. Can you, you know, can we maybe just, I'll have a break this time, and next time we'll be okay with it? I don't know if you guys have tried that on a police. It doesn't, well, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> maybe it's worked for you guys because you put some tears in there. But for me, it doesn't ever work. Um, try to talk them, usually it gets worse, and, and, and the price goes up. So I just keep my mouth shut when I get pulled over. But God has this lawsuit he needs to bring against them and this thing that they, you know, there's lots of stuff that they've done against him. It's sad where they've gone to now. It isn't just this place of, of them trying to be good and then messing up every once in a while. Because in the, in the literature right there, what he's saying there is that he says, Here, listen up, guys, to the word of God, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings the charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, and this is what's happening with them. They're so far from God that there's no longer truth, there's no mercy, there's no knowledge of God in the land. And this is what they've gotten into. They, they, they swear, they lie, they kill, they steal, they steal, and they sleep around. That's what they've come to. The saddest part about that is it's not just, oops, I lied again, Lord, please forgive me. It's not one of these things that I actually feel bad for anymore. If you look right up there, it says they break all restraint. When it says they break all restraint, that means there is no more restraint in their lives and that when they do these things, there's no remorse anymore. I don't know if you guys have come to that place maybe in your life and maybe you're there where sin has gone so far and you used to be just, it would make you want to throw up when you first were sinning and then you progress, progress, progress and then it comes to a point where it's kind of, you even stop repenting for that sin and then it moves on to where it's a comfortable thing and now there's no recognition of it. 
And that's just one of those places we go as we walk away from God and we lose that time with him, is that's where we will go. And it's a sad place that they've gone. There is no restraint anymore with their sin. They're doing all these things, and it's just, that's what you do. You want to be an Israelite? Here's, how, here's, the, here's what you need to do, okay? Here's the characteristics. And it's sad that that's what had been applied to their lives, is these characteristics, and that they held no restraint against it. And now in verse 3, this is an interesting thing, because it says, Therefore in the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Creation pays for sin, doesn't it? We know this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It's a sad thing that us, as humans, our sin affects creation. It affects creation that's lower than us. It affects others. It's a, one, one thing I took out of the, the, one of the commentaries, this guy, and I kind of paraphrase it, but it says, man through sin has the ability to not only destroy himself, but also those around him. That's what sin does. So when you're thinking that you're getting away with sin, just watch the effects of what's going on around you. Watch how you're treating your spouse. Watch how you're started treating your children. I, you know, I've even noticed in my life as I let that sin kind of progress and, and there's less confession, less bringing it before him, my attitude towards my spouse and my children is not as restrained as it was before. And it's because I'm not walking with him anymore. I'm letting the flesh rule and it's in charge. And so, of course, we know as soon as that flesh gets in, you know, that, that place of power, or this, this place that it wants to rule, <laughs> gloves are off, right? It's like, hey, I have a will now of my own and everybody better follow it. <laughs> and it's just a sad deal that we end up going. But with these guys, the, the creation was going to suffer because of this. And it's so interesting when man is in control, when man is in control of his own will, Creation starts having effects to it, too. There's, there's, there's sad things that happen to creation. And I want to contrast that with Isaiah 11, 6 and 9, if you guys turn over there. Isaiah 11, 6 and 9. And this is when Jesus, this is talking about him ruling. And this is what his kingdom looks like. This is the awesome thing. When God rules, this is what happens with creation when God rules. It says in verse 6 of chapter 11 of Isaiah, it says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I don't know, does it sound good, Ava, leading the leopard? I know you'd be, you'd be excited about that. The cow and the bear shall graze, the bear grazing, that'll be something to see. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it's so awesome to see the contrast there. When man rules, destruction, I mean, it's, it's going to wear away, it's ugly, everything's affected by it, it's not anything that progresses. But when God rules, it completely flips creation over into what it was originally designed for and just having that peace that's in there. Just an awesome thing of of being able to not even worry about your kids going out and playing with cobras. I mean, if you guys have that worry, you know, you won't have to anymore. It's a good thing. It's going to be an awesome deal. And just looking at what God does and how he does it, it's so much better. If God's going to, when he rules and that's what creation looks like, why wouldn't we just let him completely rule our lives? and submit to him and, and give up of our own will, right? 
In chapter 3, it also, uh, it's been, uh, sorry. <laughs> Didn't turn that page. That was last week's. There we go. Verse 5 in chapter 4 of Hosea, it says, Therefore you shall stumble in the day, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night and destroy your mother. Now as it goes down through this next section, it's going to talk about some of the things, the consequences. So it says, Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for the people are like those who contend in the priests. And then therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also will stumble with you in the night, and you, I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, and I also will forget your children. And when it talks about this different things, these are some of the stuff that they were doing and, and the consequences for it. So when, they're, when it's talking about, you know what, nobody can contend and nobody can rebuke each other because you guys are all in the same place. It's kind of the whole, you know, why are you, why are you talking about the speck in your brother's eyes when you got a plank? It's about to hit him in the head when you turn. That's the same deal. You have no right to be speaking because there, it says for your people are like those who contend with the priests. They have no right. And continuing with a priest is a big deal. You guys can look back over. We won't go over there. But in Deuteronomy 17.12, it talks about it. Anybody that contends with the priest, you know what happened? You know what would happen to them? They'd kill them. That, that was the consequences of, of continuing with the priest. And that's what he's relating it with. Like, you guys are just, you don't even care anymore. Continuing with everybody, it doesn't even matter what you guys, your opinions or any of that stuff. In verse 5 it says, you know, you're going to stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. Talking about, you know, the priests, the, the, the uh, prophets, the, the kings. I mean, all the people are just going down. There isn't just one person, one people group that's the bad people. It's this whole nation that's falling. And it says, and I will destroy your mother. And it's not talking about going back and finding all their mothers and killing off their mothers. It's talking about the mothers speaking of the whole nation. That's what it's saying there, the whole nation of Israel. In verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now this, I would love just to go off and do a study about the knowledge of God because it is such an important thing in the Scriptures. It talks about it over and over again. Even in that, that verse of Isaiah, didn't it say that? That the whole world, they'll know the knowledge of God. And it's such a powerful thing, and I think it's something I've never really even given myself in, in time to studying that, but how powerful it is to have that knowledge of God. And if you look through every story and, and all the things and God dealing with man throughout his whole word, why was he doing that? It was so he could reveal himself, right? If you look at all these different situations that happen, he's just completely revealing himself and his character so that us as mankind can know the God that we worship. I mean, even when Israel comes outside of Egypt, right? They've been worshiping these other gods with the Egyptians, or maybe they've been trying to stay in the right path. But they had all this mixed ideas because it's been 400 years without having a solid, we're going to go worship God, this is how to do it. So God brings them out, but what does he do before they go over to Mount Sinai? He has to show them who he is, right? So there's about three months or just under three months of him showing and revealing himself through hard situations, but showing how faithful he is, how loving he is, how protective he is. I mean, there's just so many characteristics that he shows his people before they're ready to come to Mount Sinai and praise and worship him and receive what he has from receive the law that he wants to give to them. And so as we see throughout the scriptures, it's so important to know the knowledge of God. And that's what it says here in verse 6. He says the people are destroyed because of what? Their lack of knowledge. They're destroyed. That's the reason that they're destroyed. Over in Romans 10, 
And I love this verse because it is such a, uh, a verse that I'd always return to um, when we were out in the mission field. Because one of the mindsets of the people that we were with, they had the mindset of being very religious and being zealous. But in Romans 10, it speaks exactly of that. Romans 10, 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They don't have the knowledge. And it says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. A person can be super zealous about God. I mean, we were in a country that they were very zealous. They used to have parades about him. They do all kinds of awesome things that looked really good for him. They build huge churches for him. But when you'd actually talk to him, there was absolutely no knowledge there of the righteousness. Their righteousness is of what is there of their own or whatever the church told them. I mean, they set up a door once that said, you can have righteousness if you walk through this door and give a little bit. <laughs> it was a serious deal. They called it the door of salvation. Sad totally misled, and it's because they didn't have that knowledge. They could, how could you combat the church if you don't have the knowledge of God to combat that, right? And so you're going to see that this, this lack of knowledge, that's what destroyed them, and it says because you have rejected knowledge. It wasn't because that they were just ignorant to it and God hadn't tried to show them and teach them about this, teach him about himself, reveal himself to them. It's because they completely rejected it. They wanted nothing to do with his knowledge that he wanted to give them. They're like, hey, cool, look at this tree over here. Let's go worship it. It's got great knowledge because it gives me fruit. <laughs> and it's, just, it's, it's a sad deal. We'll get into that in just a little bit down in verses 11 where it talks about them doing that and over in Romans chapter 1 as well. But it's sad where people will end up going because they just don't want to be under that authority of his. They don't want to be in his will. They want to be outside of it and run their own game. And so... Because of that, because you have rejected my knowledge in verse 6, it says, I also will reject you from being priests for me. Being priests for me, Israel was the representative, wasn't it, on the earth of God, of Jehovah God. They're the representative, and he's taking that away from them. He's saying, no, no, you guys aren't going to be a priest anymore. You're no longer going to have this right because you've forgotten the law of your God, and I will also forget your children. You know, in verse 7, it says, the more they increase, the more that they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on iniquity, on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord." Right there in verse 7, it's one of those things that you think that, well, God, if you'll just give me all the stuff that I've been asking for, for, you know, years, I don't know, then I could be so much closer to you. I could trust you so much more. You know, throw out whatever, but there's this whole doctrine, and you guys have probably heard about it, the prosperity doctrine, where it's very much that way. It's about God giving you everything you ever asked for and taking some scriptures out of context and saying that. Well, right here, it's showing us that, you know what? The more they increased, the more they prospered, the more that life was good, guess what they did? The further they walked away from God. I don't know if you guys know of a nation that's like that nowadays. You know, <laughs> there actually might be a couple of them, but, you know, it's a sad thing when you get to see that. The more they increased, the further they walked away from Him. It's a sad deal that, you know, God wants to bless. 
Just like what I talked about last week, and, and we want to bless our children. We were so excited to see them have those things, you know, those, those things that we've worked hard and purchased for them, and now we get to just see the joy that it brings them in using that. And it's such a bummer when we have to take it away from them. <laughs> Not only did we work hard for that, but now we don't get to see our child's joy in being able to use that. And God's so much, more, so, so much like that, and that He wants to bless them. That's how God is. It's not what the world has said that he's just out there look for the wrong and to come and bring condemnation and, and destroy us because we mess up. He's such a loving father and he just wants us to succeed in him. And so the more they, th- they sinned against him. So he's going to change their glory into shame and they'll eat up the sin. They eat up the, the sin of my people and they set their heart on iniquity. Like their heart and everything is completely focused on sin. It's a sad place that they've gone to. Number nine, or verse 9, it says, and it shall be like people like priests. And basically it's just saying, you know what? There's no division anymore. Boom. It is all the same. You guys have completely lost everything that's sanctifying. Like, it, you guys are so far gone that you just, it's, it's the level playing field there. There's nobody basically that represents me anymore. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. And they shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. So basically, he's taking all of this prosperity, all these awesome things that he's wanted to give them and he has given them so that they would exalt him and bring him glory, but they haven't and they've completely gone and celebrated themselves and fallen into their sin, actually got the heart of sin, and so now he's going to strip it all away from them. What an awesome God, right? Because the thing is, is he could come in there and he could completely just wipe them out. It's God. Why, why wouldn't he? He's done it to other nations, but yeah, he's pouring this mercy out onto Israel, and he just takes this stuff away from them. And later on, they have to go into captivity, but it's so neat to see that God loves them so much that he will take those things that are harming them away from them. And that's just how it, sometimes he works with us. That sometimes we need to have these things that we think are great things in our lives, you know, and all of a sudden, he needs to strip it away from us so that we can get to know him more, so he can restore that knowledge back to us of himself. Awesome God. In verse 11, it says, Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and uh, terebinths because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. And this is such a sad place that they've ended up going here. Really, it's interesting because you can really find out a lot from a society and how the women are. And it's a true deal. You get to see where the women have progressed as far as what their lives, like what's out in the open, what is okay now. Because usually what's awesome is God has made it very reserved. I mean, you know, like what he's made it from the beginning, women are very special. It's, it's, it's you know, with the wife and the husband, that, that relationship there, it's a very special, intimate thing that's, that's sacred to each other. And it's not just supposed to be out there in the open. And it's unfortunate that when you go to a society where if you even look at how the clothing is worn, you know, and you see what's valued in that society, and it really you get to see how is it on the female side of it. 
And it's such an interesting thing, um, even the place that we ended up going to. I mean, it was, it was hard because it was like short, short skirts and everything on top hanging out. That's just what the society was all about, especially the town that we lived in. It was so much that way. Even other people in the country, when they found out that we lived in this part of town, they were like, oh, hey, you know, the guys were all like, yeah, buddy. And I'm like, you guys are sick. <laughs> like, let me just lay it out for you. It's not about, but you could see what the focus was, was so much on this harlotry and, and what had gone on there. And it was a sad deal. And what it's talking about in the scriptures here is that it had gone so far and it was so sad that now even their daughters, you know, it says, therefore your daughters commit harlotry. So, Father, I hope I never have to experience that. Right? Break your heart. And not only that, but your brides, and it's, it's talking about wives, those that have been completely, it's that contract, it's, it's that, that, that becoming one with their husband, and now they're out having adulterous affairs. And it, it zeroes in on the women. Usually it'll talk about the men, but it goes to the women first because it's showing that even out in the open, this is okay for the women to do. And even if you guys go back and look at the culture of that time, that was... I mean, as far as you'd ever want to be. I mean, that was showing that they had gone, you know, beyond that point of, of, of really being able to turn themselves back to God. He needed to step in. And then it goes on and it says, you guys, in verse 14, I'm not going to discipline your daughters. I'm not going to discipline the wives because you know why? Because the men, <laughs> it's the men. Because the men are going after this and they're the ones basically that have taught the nation that this is an okay deal to do. That this is okay. It started with that and started going down the line. And then it says that, you know what, even the men themselves, they go apart with harlots and they go to sacrifices with the ritual harlots. The ritual harlots, you guys know, were the, the ones at the, the temples, the, the foreign gods, Baals and Ashereth, and, you know, going to those, those prostitutes out there. But this was all in the open. This wasn't a secret thing. This was like, this is what, it was okay. In that society, they were claiming this is, this is just what you do. This is how you worship. And of course... The family is going to follow after that. And so he's just talking about that. That It started with you guys going out there and, you know, having a good time, having the wine and everything. And then you started asking counsel from wooden idols. And then you started going out to these special trees that gave you shade. <laughs> and you start worshiping them. And then it ends up that basically God just gives them over to that debased mind. It's, I'll read over there. You guys don't have to turn, but over in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. In unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes were clearly seen, being understood. And remember that word, understood, because what did it say at the last of that one? Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. It's not just these poor people that didn't understand. It's like the ones that were giving it up, not wanting to understand God. And it says, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Because all day they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became fruitile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, four-footed animals. And creeping things. And then verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness and in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Speaking about Israel right there. You know, it's just what they're going through and what they ended up giving themselves over to. 
In verse 15, it says, Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go to the Beth Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives. Now, here's what's happened is he's been focused on Israel, and Judah hasn't been as far. They haven't been as debased as Israel has. And you guys remember that one, I hope, I, I forgot to get it up here tonight, but that, that timeline that it showed that definitely Israel is a lot shorter than what the time that Judah had. It's because it was a slower process for Judah to go, but Judah was heading down that road. And it tells Judah, it says, don't come up to Gilgal and don't come to Beth-Avon. And the reason for it is Gilgal, these are the places they had their high places. This is where they put the shrines at for the 10, uh, 10 tribes to come to. This was like now their sacred place. And it's a sad deal because I don't know if you guys remember back in 2 Kings 2, if you want to write this down, 2 Kings 2.1 and also 4.28 is when uh, Elisha set up a school for prophets in Gilgal. This was the place that had the school of the prophets. So sad to see it all of a sudden flipped around and turned, and now it's a place where they go worship other gods. And then as soon as I heard that, I'm like, wow, how many of our universities have had the same thing happen to them? Awesome universities started by, started by godly men, awesome men, and they wanted to focus in on God and being able to send these men out to other nations or out into the rest of America to go and, and either start up churches or start up ministries. And now you go to one of those, those places, and they're a hardcore advocate against who? God. <laughs> like that is one of the, some of the most liberal colleges that you can go to that are completely contrary to the Word of God. And it's so sad to see, but it's nothing new. It's been happening since Israel was around that that was going on. And then the other place, nor go up to Beth-Avon, Beth-Avon was a little bit east of Bethel, okay? And you guys remember what the name Bethel means, right? House of God. Beth-Avon means house of wickedness or vanity, it's a sad deal. And I think that what, the reason that God or, was using Hosea to put this in here was to show what had happened with them. They, they no longer wanted to go to the house of God. Now they're going over to this house of vanity or wickedness or, or idolatry. And it's a sad deal to see that they, they, them turning and, and walking away from these things that God had already set up, good things that God had going for them. Verse 16, for Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in the own country. Verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit adultery continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So Israel's become like a stubborn calf. Stubborn calves are the noisiest things in the world. Have you guys have been around them? Like they don't want to do anything. You try to force them into doing it, they'll let you know. They, 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 they're belting out all the time. And that's how they become just an annoying little stubborn calf that will not do what you want to do. And then all of a sudden, they're loud and annoying on top of that. And it's so sad that Israel, he's relating them with this. And now the Lord will let them forge like a lamb in the open country. And then it goes, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. In verse 17, this interesting on that word joined, because that word joined there in the Hebrew and how it's used is associated with the bond of, of spells, basically like being bound by a spell to something, completely just glassed over and, and absorbed by that thing. So when it says being joined to idols, it's as if Ephraim has been bewitched, and it's under a spell of idolatry and unable to free himself. And that's really, we get to the end of this chapter, and it's like, man, they're hopeless, 
How in the world would they free themselves? You almost come to that point where you wish they'd call out and say, oh, wretched nation that I am, who will save me from this, this place of sin? Because they get to that place where God shows them. They don't even get there. He shows them exactly where they're at and their depravity and their sin. Now, how far they've walked away from him. So in chapter 5, what's going to happen is now he's going to call upon that, rad, that, con- that, that, that discipline that's going to come. And so this is when this chapter discipline and then, verse, and then chapter 6 is going to be the call back to repentance. So in chapter 5, he says this. He says, and he, look at the different groups that he calls out here. He says, hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the kings. For yours is the judgment because you have been a snare to Mizpah. Did he leave anybody out? I think it was every people group there, wasn't it? Every one of them. He says, you guys, the priests are not escaping this. It's not like they got some holy part. that They've been doing something right. They're completely in the same place. Of course, Israel, the people there. And not only that, but the, the, the court. You know, they're all in trouble. They've all been doing this. They've all been walking away from years of the judgment. And then verse 2, or, or sorry, the very end of 1, it says, And a net spread over Tabor. Uh, the revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim. And Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. And it's just one of those things that goes back to, like what I said before, God sees our sin. It's not something. When he calls out and he says, I know Ephraim, nothing's hidden from God. He could say every one of our names in this room, and he says, I know you. I know you. So if there's this sin that's been put in the side and it's kind of just put over there and thinking that, you know, if I'm going to hide this, like men, they try to hide their sins from others and they even deceive themselves, you know, with the sin that's going on in their life. But the thing is, is God knows the facts. God knows what's going on. It's not this thing that we can fool him in what we're doing and try to write it off as, oh, I needed to do that. I needed to give them a tongue lashing because do you know what they did to me? <laughs> you know, and giving these excuses for what our actions are when the facts are, if we went before God and said, here, you judge over this case, we know right away it'd be like, yeah, I was definitely wrong on that one. How do we know that? It's because we get to know the Scriptures. We, the Scriptures, God's Word, it's living, and it shows us exactly what it looks like to live for Him. It shows us what we're gonna, supposed to be following. And as we get to know it more and more, it's like the Spirit speaks to us when we're doing something wrong, and it's like, no, 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 my child doesn't do that. <laughs> You're like, all right, forgive me. Let's go back. <laughs> Start over again. In verse 4, it says, They do not direct their deeds towards turning to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them, putting Judah in there. With their flocks and herds, they shall go seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. So this is the point where they start knowing that they're probably going to be in trouble. Okay? Like, okay, we've been doing some stuff that's wrong. And he starts talking about it. But in verse 4, it's so crazy. Like I said in verse 3, it says, I know Ephraim, God says that, but what do they say? In the very end of 4, it says, And they do not know the Lord. That's how it usually goes. Like, God knows us, but do we know Him? And it comes back to that knowledge. Do we know Him? In verse 6, 
These guys with the pride of Israel testifies in his face. Verse 5, therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. When they're stumbling in their iniquity, what happens is that then they try and they try to make it right with God. And that's what verse 6 is all about, is them trying to make it okay with him. And so what they're doing is they're taking their flocks and their herds and they're going to go seek the Lord, which means they're going to basically bring sacrifices to him. Like, okay, here's how we're supposed to do this. Because we feel bad about what was going on and we got in trouble. Let's go ahead and let's bring up these sacrifices. But God's withdrawn himself from them. And there's so many cool scriptures out there that just remind us that God does not want the sacrifice. That's not what he desires. I mean, it's something that he's set up this system so that they can exalt him, they can worship, put him in his right place. It's, it's this religious duty that they had, but it wasn't what he was after. He wanted their hearts. And there's so many scriptures. Psalms 50, right? Psalms 50, 16 and 17. I should have it memorized by now, but I don't. Is it, oh, sorry, 51, isn't it? Yeah, it's 51, sorry. 51, 16, 17. For you do not desire sacrifices, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, God, you will not despise. That's what God wanted from them. But here they are over in Hosea. They're trying to bring back the old sacrifice. They want to, okay, God, we, we know this is what we're supposed to be doing with you. So here, take my sheep. Now we're good, right? God wants truth and sincerity from the heart, doesn't he? doesn't want him just returning to this religious system. You know, God, I'll go to church. I mean, I know I've been really bad, but, you know, I'm going to go to church this Sunday and we're good, right? <laughs> like, we're, we're all right now. Everything's good. You know, if we're not all right, I'll even, I'll greet people at the door. Then we should definitely be okay, because you know how much I hate that. <laughs> you know, you start making all these deals with him, and it's like, God's not wanting that. He wants you to be broken. He wants you to fall on your face because you understand your sin and you understand you've been a harlot, that you've cheated on him. And even more so, now that we know Christ has died on the cross for us, we've taken that and we've basically just used his blood. I mean, we don't value it. I mean, when I come down and I, I think about the sin that I've done and I look at Jesus on the cross and it becomes so dear and, and it's saddening because it's like, wow, you did so much for me and that means so much to me. It really does. But then here's my action showing you that it doesn't really mean much to me. It just, it just you know, I'm thankful for it, but, but I kind of want to still do what I want to do. I still want to act out the way that I want to act out. I thank the Lord that he doesn't come and condemn us, right? He's just there and he's like, hey, you're my child. You messed up. You know, and he's just ready to accept us back in that awesome grace that he pours out on us and that mercy. So over in verse 8, did we read through 7? Yes, we did. Yeah, when it says pagan children, begotten pagan children, that you could nowadays word would be brat, I think. <laughs> That's kind of the deal when you take out how God wants you to raise your children. I mean, you probably see them. They're at Walmart, these pagan children, all over the place. <laughs> You'll see them mopping the floor behind the cart, you know, <laughs> screaming. Yeah, that's the pagan children is talking about. But it's completely deserted to the Lord, and so now here's what they're bringing up. And it's sad that they would bring up another generation, you know, in the same air. It's just, it's, it's a sad deal that they do, but we see it happening all the time in our own nation. In verse 8, it says, Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, and the trumpet in Ramah. And this is what's happening. And this next part, what it's talking about, is going to start talking about the raid of Assyria. 
And that's what's going to go on. And it's going to talk about the warning that comes. Hey, we need to get ready for battle because here they come. And he's going to show them that this, this is what God's going to do. He's, he's not giving them an excuse of, hey, this was bad luck that we got taken over by the Syrians. But he wants them to know, this was from me. This is my discipline. So blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, and cry aloud at Beth-Avon. Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is true. Now here's something interesting. It's addressing Benjamin. Was Benjamin a part of the northern tribe or the southern tribe? Southern. Okay? They were the other tribe that was down in the south. But why they're being associated with the northern tribe is because if you look at those different towns that I just mentioned there, those are uh, towns of Benjamin. So those high places we're talking about, those places they go and worship, that was part of Benjamin. Gibeah, Ramah, and Beth-Avon were all part of the cities of Benjamin. And so that's why they're being brought into it and, and being rebuked on this too, that they're going to be a part of this. In verse 10, it says, The princes of Judah are like those who remove their landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. You guys ever had a neighbor remove the landmark, the property line? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't, but I'm sure, you know, you get to hear about these different disputes that happen. Anyways, so I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because the, he willingly walked by human precept. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth in the house of Judah like rottenness. And basically, I love those words that he uses there. It just clarifies that, you know what, these, these kingdoms are falling apart. I mean, usually when you see rottenness and you have moths coming in and there's destruction that's happening, it's falling apart. It's not a good deal. They have them, both of them, and he mentions both of them having it. Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, and Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob, yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim. And like a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away, and no one shall rescue. With no, re, with re, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me, and just tell them, look, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to try to run to and fro to find some help when this happens. And it's sad because they still don't get it. Like, you don't go after somebody else in the world and, and go for their help. They should have known that this is something between them and God. But instead, they go and, and try to look for people to help them, which these guys could care less. You know, the King Jerob, I mean, it wasn't anything to him. Why would they help out Israel? And so it says that God's like this young lion, that he's coming and he's going to tear them. And it's one of those things that you just don't grab the prey out of a lion's mouth. I mean, I, I know none of us have tried to do that, but... Sometimes we've even tried to do it with dogs. You know, you try to take some food away from them or something. And when you're training them, when they're a puppy, they'll give you a little growl or whatever or snap at you. Imagine a lion, okay? It's a little bit more extreme. Don't touch it. <laughs> and that's what it's like. That's what he's trying to express here. It's done, okay? Nobody's going to save you. I'm like a young lion that has a prey in its mouth. You're torn to pieces. It's done. There's no way you're going to pull out. No means of man is going to rescue from the hand of God. But then he says, and it gets to 15, and this is where it's going to start transitioning into, into chapter 6. And really, I, it's a bad chapter break right here, because it should just transition right into verse 1 of chapter 6. But it says, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. That's what God is waiting for, isn't he? he all, they're having to go through all this stuff, but if they just acknowledge their offense to him, that means they would repent and come back to that right place with him. It says that what would he do? 
But then they would seek their face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. And he says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Now, this is some cool stuff right here. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third, he will rise us up, raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is establishing as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. And it's so cool, you get to see this awesomeness of God coming back to restore because of that repentance has taken place. You're like, okay, good. Because <laughs> you're like, these guys would be done with, you know, like annihilated if this wouldn't have stopped. It's just so troublesome as you go through the scriptures. And then it talks about it. It says, come back. Come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn. And this is the cool thing because man will tear and man will strike. But the thing is with man, it cannot fix it. There, there's no way. God's the only one that can heal us. God is the only one that can bind us up. He's the only one that has the power to do that. And no matter where they would go and whatever they would try to do to make things right again, it's only by him that they can make it right again. And he says, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will rise us up, raise us up. We may live in his sight. What a cool, cool prophecy, isn't it, right there? On the third day, it's like, guys, how could you miss that? <laughs> what, what Bible were you reading? You know what? What Old Testament? Like he even said on the third day he was going to rise. We were going to raise up, and you guys can go and look over. I went over First Corinthians chapter fifteen after looking at this, this section, and that's the whole part where it's talking about us being transformed in the new body and us rising up with Him, and Him being the first fruits of that resurrection. And it's just a cool thing that when you have this right there, it's already been told hundreds, hundreds of years before this ever took place. And it's so cool that this is just God revealing himself and there really is no excuse. You really do have the knowledge of God. Man, it's such wisdom to have, isn't it? It's a neat thing to have. So then moving on. Uh, we're going to do it. Yes. So, in the, I just wanted to go back over that because I really like that. When you read through ver chap verse 3, it just says, let us know. Like, here's where that knowledge is going to come in. You guys want to have a little bit of knowledge of God, like we've been talking about? Right here, it's about to come, okay? Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. That's a big contrast to verse 6 of chapter 4, where it says, my people have destroyed for the lack of knowledge because they've rejected the knowledge. It says, now let us pursue this knowledge. Let us pursue it, guys. His going forth is established as in the morning, and this is going to give some characteristics of him. Here's some knowledge he's going to give you about God. His going forth is established as in the morning. Like, guys, it's faithful. Guess what tomorrow is going to happen? Morning. It's going to come, even though some of us don't really want to have it. We can just skip into lunchtime or something. <laughs> Get that sleep. But morning will be here. It's a sure deal. It's faithful. It's going to be there every day, and he will come to us like the rain, that refreshing rain. I mean, you guys know if we're going through a huge drought, and it was pretty dry before we got all this rain, and this rain's so nice. It's like, oh, so refreshing. And you sit in your house, and it's just nice and calm. You get a hot drink, and... That's uh, a good thing. And it'd be like the latter in the form of rain, just bringing that increase, bringing that life back to that dead. And in verse 4, it says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy. And here's that verse we were kind of talking about earlier. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Seek after the knowledge of God. Now, when it talks about it, the very 
up there and, and, and it gives it for your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, like the early dew that goes away. It's just saying that you guys, your faithfulness is, it's not sure. Like this is one of those things that it, it doesn't endure, it's shallow. What you desire to do right, it's shallow and only lasts for a little bit. And when I was going through this verse, like, wow, God, that is so much like what I do in my own life because I want to be faithful to you. I, I, I get into these things where, you know, it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to tell my wife when I get home. You know, I'm excited to see her. I know this is stuff you really don't know about, so hold on tight. <laughs> but it's just like something gets in me. I just want to tell my wife I love her when I get home. You know, and it's like this, this faith, I, I don't know, it's, it's something that God just comes over me and I'm excited to see my wife and get home and, and tell her that I love her. And then I get home, and I don't know what happens. <laughs> I start unloading tools, and then I start thinking about the job tomorrow, and then it's like I'm consumed by something, and it's such like the morning cloud. It's like that dude that was like, oh, I was all excited for about an hour of driving home, and then I get home, and it's like, eh. <laughs> I still feel it. It just doesn't come out. So I love you. Yeah. But yeah, you guys know how it is. I know you guys can relate with that. It's these things you get excited about. Falling God, you want to do this for him. You want to do that. And then all of a sudden, you're getting distracted by something else. And it's like, where'd that cloud go? <laughs> oh, it disappeared. <laughs> and it's sad. I wish I was more faithful. And when he calls it out, and I'm like, oh, God, I want to be so much more faithful to you and what you've called me to. And then he goes on, and, and he tells them exactly what he's wanting. He's like, guys, you can't miss this. God's, this is what he wants in verse 6. And then verse 7, it says, But like men, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. And that's such a contrast to what it used to be. I mean, I'm sure down during Elisha's time, Gilead was not looked at that way. It looked like, wow, this is an awesome place. This is where the prophets, the school is there. There's a lot of good people, a lot of awesome things going on there. But now it is full of evildoers and defiled with blood. And as bands of robbers lie in wait for man, so the company of the priests murder on the way to Shechem. And it's basically, that was a pretty heavy thing, calling the priests murderers. Surely they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is a harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, Judah, a harvest is appointed for you. When I return, the captives of my people. I'm just talking about the Babylonian captivity that they're going to go into. All right, guys, 10 minutes. You need to get up and stretch or anything? <laughs> Chapter 7. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered and wickedness of Samaria, for they have committed fraud. A thief comes in, a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. They make a king glad with their wickedness and a princes with their lies. They're all, they're all adulterers like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it is leavened. In the day of our king, princes have made him sick and flamed with wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleeps all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. And they're all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. None among them calls upon me. A lot of talk about the oven here. And it's a lot of this weirdness. But if you're looking at it, you're like, what? what's going on here? Like There's a cook. Now he's getting hot in the morning. And now they're getting devoured. So what's going on here? Well, first, we'll go into that first part of chapter 7. 
And, and he's just going back on there. He's talking about their wickedness. And, you know, they don't, their own deeds have surrounded them. Uh, they're before my face. And I know what's going on. I see everything that's going on. And not only that, but they're doing it blatantly because they want to make their king proud. They want to make their princes like them better. It's like anybody that has some, some stout or, or some name to them, they want to go and do whatever that's going to please them. They completely missed out on pleasing the real king. And so this whole focus has been misdirected, and then it talks about them in this oven deal. And what it's just basically talking about is it's saying that this is this, the fire that's kind of there, it's smoldering, like when it talks about the baker, and, and you know he doesn't keep stirring the fire after he's kneading the dough and it's leaven because it's not ready to be cooked yet. Okay, So the fire's kind of just there. There is a fire going on, but it's about to burst into flames. And that's what it's talking about with them. Yeah, there might be some little things going on, like there's a fire going on there, but it's about to all explode in your face. Like, this is about to be a big deal. It's about to go so far. Your sin right now, you think that you got it under control because it's a little few embers? It's about to blow up, and it's going to go all over the place. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn everything. And that's kind of the, the whole idea of it, given this idea of this oven. And when it says they have devoured their judges, basically, we don't have anybody that judges over us anymore. So they've basically burned that up. That's this fire exploding. They've burned that up. Who cares about that anymore? They don't have any judges, and their kings have fallen, and among them, call, none of them calls upon me. Like, it's just done with God. And it's sad to see that that's what he's, he's talking about there, is, is they've completely given up on all that. Like, it's basically going back to the time of the judges where everybody did everything that right, was right in their own eyes. It's kind of the same thing. Verse 8, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples, which we know that was not allowed to be done and Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. His gray hairs are here and there on him, and he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. This is one of those things, it's like when we cook a pancake, you know what, when you flip it, or when you pour out that, that, that batter on the pan, just let it sit there. You know what's going to look good on that top side as the bubbles come up? It's going to keep looking good. Oh, yeah, it's looking good. There might be a little bit of smoke start coming out. <laughs> but it's looking good on the top side, right? And then you're like, okay, I think I should flip it now. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> I burn it. And then you flip it over, and it's like, I can't even eat it. It's worthless. But it looks so good on the top, right? That's this hot cake they're talking about. Everything looks all right on the top. It's all good on the surface, but underneath it is the nastiest, crispiest, burnt, no good for anything, bad-tasting deal. And that's exactly what he's relating it with. So that's what you guys are doing here. You guys think you're all good on the outside. You think everything's all right, but you guys are completely toasted and burnt on the other side. Good for nothing. You don't even have any taste anymore. It's nasty. Don't deceive yourselves. Ephraim also is like a silly dove or a stupid dove without sense. <laughs> they call to Egypt and they go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net to them on them. I will bring them down like the birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. And just this, this dove, basically doves go where there's food, right? I don't know if you guys have any of those neighbors that have been feeding them for a while. And you, you're the one that gets all the poop. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's always over your car and everything. We used to have a neighbor. Holy cow. It was like every animal from every, I don't even know. It was like out of the jungle. I don't, I don't even know. Just in front of our house because they, they yeah, she just fed everything. And it was nice, but we definitely caught the results of, of the other side of that, where the food went. So you're looking at this, and it's just doves go where there's food. And 
what they were doing is they were like, hey, Egypt, you got something for us, right? You can help us out. You can defeat our enemies. Oh, Assyria, come over here. We need your help. That's what was going on is they were just basically just being the silly dove that's just driving around trying to look for something that's going to sustain them. When God's just going to throw his net over them and that's going to be it. Like it's just an easy catch, you know, nothing to it. And there again, it was just that deception that they were bringing themselves into. That's really what he's just trying to show them is you guys are deceiving yourselves. Verse 13, woe to them for they have fled from me, destruction to them because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their beds. They assembled together for grain and new wine, and they rebelled against me, though I disciplined and strengthened their arms. Yet they devise evil against me. It was just so sad what they're doing. I mean, they're feeling the pain. They're feeling this discipline come upon them, and they're crying out, and they're trying to resolve it in any other way except for the way that they need to do. It says they cry it out, but they don't do it out of their heart. And it's going back like, guys, it's about me. You guys are completely doing everything else. Okay, wake up, Zoe, because 16 is a verse that you'll be interested in. It says, they return, but not to the Most High. They were like treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursing of their tongue, and they shall be their derision. What is that? Yeah, okay, in the land of Egypt. I thought it said diversion, but it, yeah, derision. Okay, verse 16, where it says it talks about treacherous bow. This is one of those deals where you have this bow that looks awesome, and it looks like it's going to shoot nice, right? I mean, it's got everything to it, and it is going to do the job, you think. And then you go to shoot it, and every time it shoots off target. <laughs> it's probably the most frustrating thing. I had a friend use my, my gun the other day, and the sights are all off on it. And it was so funny to watch him because he was getting so frustrated with it. And I didn't tell him until afterwards that <laughs> the sights are all messed up. But it's one of those things that you're holding this nice weapon. And you're expecting it to do what you ask it to do and point. And, and then you think the failure's on your side when it's like this dumb bow that you're using or this gun that can't shoot straight because everything's off on it. And that's what they were doing. Again, it was deception. It was like looking good on the outside. It was like, oh, this is ready to go, but it can never hit the target. I think at the end of this, this is looking through this whole chapter, we could just look at it, and it's just vanity and man trying to succeed for himself. Man trying to solve his own problems is not going to happen. Anytime that a man finds himself in a situation like that, he shouldn't be trying to fool himself and like, oh, everything's okay. And how many times have we even dealt with people that you're, you're so brokenhearted for them because they haven't turned to Jesus yet, and you're just watching them continually just make up excuses of everything's all right, or doing this whole fake attitude on the outside of, it's all good. And you're like, no, come on. I know you're trying to fool yourself. You haven't fooled me. <laughs> you haven't fooled those around you. Just give it all up. And it's such a freeing thing. And even in our own lives, when we've finally just given that up and been like, you know what? Let's be real about what's going on. I'm completely a sinner, and I'm so far away from my Savior. And I just need him to come and do what he did. He purchased me. So he just needs to take his possession, what he's already bought. And here it goes. And then it's like, whew. <laughs> you guys, every one of you know, as soon as you come to Jesus, it's like, boom, this weight's off of you. And, it, and that, that fakeness is gone. And then slowly as we mature and we start doing the things that might, you know, it, it gets into this awesome deal that we're going to be with God. But we got to be sure that we don't let that fakeness come back in. Trying to reassure ourselves that, you know, that sin isn't that bad. Or I can get over that sin myself. Or I heard about a formula on how to do this. <laughs> We have to keep going back to him and dealing with it with him because he sees all, he knows all. We need to know, have that knowledge of him and not fool ourselves and go back to him. So there it is. Lord, we just want to thank you for just your scriptures 
and uh, what you teach us through them, Lord. I know there's so much packed in here, and I just pray that you just take your people through it and just more in depth, you know, as they search through the scriptures and get to see the awesome things about you. But Lord, I really ask, you know, in these chapters, it seems like you really made it important to know you and speaking about that knowledge of you. So Lord, we ask that you would just pour out your knowledge on us. Uh, not that we could be puffed up and, and think that we have arrived or any, any of that, Lord, but we just want to draw closer to you. I want to know who you are in every aspect of your character, Lord. You know, it would be a good thing when I get to be face-to-face with you that day to actually know who I'm greeting, Lord. And so we just we ask that you do that in our lives. You continue just to grow us. You take us through circumstances that we would get to know your character more and your love for us. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing here, and, and uh, we just pray again that you would bring our pastor back safely. Lord, we want to give you praise again for Travis and what an awesome thing you did, Lord, and just that reassurance to us that prayer is a true deal. It really does work. And we just thank you for that, Lord, and we pray for Travis. We lift him up to you, that you continue just to guard him, that you'd surround him with your angels, and you surround him with the other believers, Lord, and that he continue just to have that thirst for you and grow in you. And, Lord, we just pray these things. In your name we pray, amen.
感觉。